We are nearing the end of Esther. It is almost time to be done. Uh, but this week's story, I think, is kind of a fun one. Uh, I, I kind of self-titled this sermon like, things are looking up, because uh, it's kind of been a downer. Uh, Esther is kind of a downer book for the entire first half, and the second half starts to lift up, uh, and today is like kind of fun. Um, but this story that we're going to go through is fun, I should clarify. Um, so let's just jump right in where we're at. Uh, you know, basically, Esther and Mordecai are two main characters, and there's also the king. And what they're going to do now is they're going to save the Jews. Uh, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So uh, let's just start here. The king basically invites Esther and Mordecai back in. He's just executed Haman. Uh, they, Esther had the whole accusatory meeting with Haman, like where she set him up, and it was like a courtroom scene, which is like, this guy did it. Uh, so Haman gets taken out and impaled on a stick, and it's fun stuff. Uh, and so the king is like, okay, well, now Esther and Mordecai are back. Uh, and the way I think about it, get ready for this. This is going to make sense. I think the king is like Oprah here. Uh, I have a wonderful picture. You probably know it. Oprah, uh, in all her glory and splendor here. Uh, basically, here's what the king's doing. He's looking at Esther and Mordecai. He's saying, you get an estate. You get royal robes. You get my special king ring. Like, you get to make a decree. He's just, like, giving stuff away, left and right. Right? So he's kind of like Oprah here. Uh, and so Esther, basically what really happens is the king tells Esther, I'm giving you essentially everything that was Haman's. Uh, because Haman did you wrong, you get now his estate. That means you get his house. You get all his stuff and money. Uh, so Esther gets all of this stuff and immediately gives it to Mordecai. Uh, she gives it to Mordecai to, to manage and, and handle while, uh, while, as long as he lives, I guess. Um, and meanwhile, Mordecai also gets the same ring that the king had given Haman, right? So remember this ring, any ring that a king has, it's a, a signet ring, like it seals things. Uh, so the importance of that is that only the king has that ring. So that means that anything that is sealed with that ring is as if it came from the king, so the king is giving it to Mordecai, which symbolizes everything you say, you say with my authority. Um, so big deal, big deal. Uh, and Mordecai is now basically number two in charge of Persia, the entire kingdom of Persia, which is crazy. Uh, he went from almost being executed to now he's number two. So that's where Mordecai's at. Uh, and Mordecai also gets like royal robes, right? It says he gets blue linen and a purple cape, which purple is a sign of royalty and a crown. Uh, so he's dressed in royal robes. Uh, so Esther and Mordecai's reaction to this, we've got to take down Oprah or else I'm going to be distracted. Uh, Esther and Mordecai's reaction to this. Actually, we can put that up because I'm about to talk about it. Esther 8.5. Uh, uh, Esther and Mordecai's reaction is kind of like, cool stuff. Thank you, king. Very generous. Uh, it's not really what we came for. Uh, and so Esther goes back to the king, um, which... Side note, uh, Esther has to approach the king again, and this is like unannounced. So remember way back, I believe it's Esther 5, uh, Esther, or, uh, Esther has to go to King Xerxes, and if he doesn't extend the gold scepter to her, she dies. So she's actually in the same situation again. Uh, it's a little bit different this time, though, because she's obviously on his good side. He just gave her a bunch of stuff, but there's still risk. Right? Esther going back to ask for what she really wants is still a little bit risky. But naturally, she goes back. The king extends the scepter to her, and she gets to live. And she asks. She makes her real request. This is what she really wants. She says, if it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if 
the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, all of that is like buttering him up. Like, oh, great king, you are so amazing. All of this, just whatever you want to do. I'm just asking this, but if you don't want to do it, it's okay. Let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. So what Esther's really asking is, by the way, remember Haman made a decree in your name that's supposed to kill all of us. Could you, like, please take that back? That's what she's asking. Um, And here's how the king replies. Basically, he's like, well, if it's an official decree sealed with my ring, remember that ring I just gave Mordecai that was Haman, so I'm kind of making the same mistake again because I don't learn anything. Uh, So if it's sealed with a royal decree, I can't actually take it back. Uh, But he says, but, but, I'm not going to leave you hanging there. Can't take it back, but you guys should make your own decree. And it can be, like, totally opposite of whatever the, the decree Haman made. He basically says, you know, go, go do whatever you want. I trust you. It's probably going to be good. Uh, and in my head, I've got to like, dude, you never learn. Um, and, and so basically what happens is Esther and Mordecai, uh, right there with the king's scribes, figure out what they want to say, right? What are they going to do to save the Jews? Uh, and, and we get to verse 11. And... What they say is saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every, the edict is saying, I should clarify, the edict is saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. Brutal. (laughs) Basically, we're looking at a mini purge. Uh, and it's Jews versus everybody else is what this purge is going to be. And so to recap everything that's happening, there's one decree from Haman that says you have the right, almost the responsibility, to go kill all of the Jews. And Esther and Mordecai write their own decree also by the king. So technically the king has said both of these. That says you may have the right to attack the Jews, but the Jews also have the right to defend themselves. By the way, if you attack the Jews, they can also go kill your family and take all your stuff. So, uh, it's kind of like they're, they're leveling the playing field, they're evening the odds, but then it's like, and then there's some. There's some worse, actually, that, that your family might die and your stuff might get stolen. Um, and so, the response of this, of the people of Persia, is actually a lot of them kind of go, we're actually with them. Like, we're with the Jews, don't mess with us, uh, to kind of protect themselves. They're like, stay away, uh, and we're we're with them. We're we're not going to attack anybody, and if you attack us, oh boy, it's coming for you. So, that's what happened. Crazy story, but kind of all good stuff, finally, for like the Jews. They're finally getting good stuff. They, they finally get uh, the guy they want in power. Mordecai is Jewish, and he'll protect them. He's in power. He's good. Uh, Esther, things are looking up for her. For the, the Jewish people, also, they're not going to be exterminated, which is great. We'll learn about that next week. Um, but always remember, just at the start of this book, the entire first half, just a few short chapters ago, it wasn't really looking up. It wasn't looking good. Uh, Basically, the way the story starts is like, here's a really crappy thing, and here's an even worse thing, and here is just the most horrendous atrocity you've ever heard of, and it's just one after another happening to them. Like, it sucks. Uh, it really sucks. Um, what, what's happening to them? I mean, they're, they're in exile. They're outside of the promised land, uh, which is a huge deal to the Jewish people. 
and that's actually the best thing that happened to them at the start of this book. Esther is forced into sexual slavery, horrific. Uh, Mordecai is set to be executed by Haman, uh, and the Jews are all going to be exterminated, also by Haman. Uh, and Haman, despite that, he's still large and in charge. He's very much got the power uh, and all of the respect of the king. Then Esther has to risk her life to even try to change any of this without any promise of it actually working, but just to make an attempt, she has to risk her life as the queen to try to fix this. So six things, and it's all stacked against them. All the odds are stacked against them, and that's what they're facing in the coming months. Sucks, like just a really bleak outlook, right? If you're looking at a forecast or you're making odds for them on their odds of survival, it's not looking good, it's not looking pretty. Uh, and this just brings me to my main idea. God is faithful to us, even when life may feel like a little personal hell. That's what it is. Uh, We see in this chapter, God is faithful to the Jewish people, even though to them it may have felt like what they were going through is basically hell. Uh, It feels like really the worst pain and suffering that they could have imagined, but God is still faithful, and we see that in the way that he delivers them in this chapter. Um, Now, what they were feeling may not necessarily qualify as a literal interpretation of hell, but it definitely would have felt that way to them. Uh, And just remember how Mordecai reacted when the issue is decree, or the decree is issued, excuse me. Uh, Mordecai is weeping in the streets. He's wearing sackcloth, which is like the most uncomfortable torn fabric that you can, and he's, got, he's covered himself in ash. It's just extreme signs of sorrow and mourning. Uh, it's not good for Mordecai. He is showing the most extreme sorrow that he can. Uh, and also remember, we, we kind of knew how the story could end, or if we wanted to know, we could have just flipped ahead a few pages. Uh, they couldn't do that. They had to live this out for years at a time of this going on. So for years at a time, Everything is going poorly for them. For Esther, for years, she has to be forced in this horrible uh, slavery to the king. Uh, it, it's not pleasant. It's not a quick story. It's not ripping off a Band-Aid for them. This is long and slow and painful that they're going through. Uh, but, again, it didn't stop at the pain, right? Because we know this week, it, it started to look up. Uh, and... I want to clarify the difference in the big idea when it, life, your God is still faithful to us. That doesn't mean that it's always the perfect storybook happy ending that we want it to be. Uh, I, I don't mean that everything just works out absolutely perfect in the end. Don't worry about any of the pain you're going through now because trust me, it's all going to work out perfect in the end. I don't mean that actually. Like I don't want you guys to, to think that way because I don't think Esther and Mordecai were thinking that way. Uh, I don't think Esther... Uh, was not scarred by what she had to go through. I think very much it shaped her into who she was. I think Mordecai was scarred by what he had to go through, and it affected his decision-making, and it gave him wisdom, but Mordecai very much was affected by what happened to him. I don't think we're supposed to just ignore whatever's happening now and live blissfully ignorant of all of it. I think we're very much supposed to go through this suffering. Um, I think these scars really do shape who they are, and, and they're intentional, um, I want to share a little personal story with you guys about uh, like a, scar- a scarring experience in my life. Uh, some of you have probably heard this story before, but uh, so when you graduate high school, you seniors, when you graduate high school, juniors next year, trust me, uh, 
it's supposed to be like a really happy time. Everyone's like really stoked. Uh, your friends are all stoked. The other people in your life are stoked for you. You're about to go on uh, to the next chapter of your life. You know, when you start school the next year, it's another exciting time. Or if you start work, whatever it is. But for me, it was school. Uh, everyone's like, it's, oh, it's so different. It's all new experiences. You're so lucky. It's so great. You're just going to learn so much and grow and mature. All that kind of stuff. It's supposed to be like great experience. Uh, and so... Uh, I'm just thinking back, starting my high school, uh, I had a friend who I made friends with because we ended up sitting kind of next to each other in steady hall period. For us, it's called pass period. I don't know what you guys call it, but steady hall. Uh, and, and his last name was McGowan Brem. My last name is McDermott. So McD, McG, you know, we're side by side. You can't really get a closer uh, uh, last name. Uh, my nickname was Derm by the way, just to clarify, uh, because there were a lot of Austins in my high school. So I'm Derm, uh, is my nickname. So his name is Reese. He always called me Derm. He'd be like, Derm, just like that. Uh, never, hey, Derm. Like, you always have to yell Derm. Uh, so the guy I'm sitting by, Reese, uh, one of my best friends in high school, just because I didn't have a lot of friends coming in. We're sitting next to each other. He lived close to the high school. So uh, when, you're young, <clears throat> when you're younger and you can't drive, uh, proximity matters a lot, so we could just walk to his house after school. It was sweet. Um, so we'd go over there, play basketball, backyard football, um, whatever. Me and my friends, and uh, his dad would hang out with us sometimes, which is cool. Uh, his name's Randy. Randy's like a chill dude. Uh, so we'd, we'd all be in his backyard, like, hanging out all the time. Uh, so Reese was my good friends. Uh, another thing I could think about him, uh, this isn't exactly important, but he, Reese always told me, he's like, Derm, I don't need to go to college. I can just work at Best Buy for the rest of my life. He had a job at Best Buy. I'm like, bro, you make like $9 an hour. <laughs> I'm like, he's like, yeah, that's enough. I'm like, no, no, it's not. Uh, but uh, Reese actually ended up going to college, which was cool. He, he went to, uh, it's closed now, but Trinity Lutheran College in Everett. Uh, he got a track scholarship because senior year he ran track. And the weird thing is we all made fun of Reese for being like the slowest player on the football team. And yet somehow he's like an amazing track star. Doesn't make any sense. But uh, he got a track scholarship to Trinity. Uh, and so that was really cool for him. Uh, I was really stoked when he found that out. Um, but so fast forward all this past high school. Fast forward, it's November, my freshman year at UW. Things are going pretty good. Uh, I'm enjoying my classes. Uh, I'm here at Alderwood doing an internship too. Just started that. Um, and it's November 10th, Thursday morning. Uh, bright and early. Uh, I wake up for class, and I wake up to a text from one of my friends that said, hey, Derm, need to call, or call me ASAP. We need to talk. And it's not normal. Uh, so I'm like, okay, what's going on? Uh, so I give him a call, and he told me the news that uh, two days earlier that Reese had taken his own life. Uh, and I hadn't seen Reese for, you know, three or four months uh, since school started. He was busy with track season. Uh, and, and it just shocked me. Uh, he, had, he had just hung out with Reese that Saturday. He told me all about that, and he said, didn't know anything, seemed normal. Um, but, but Reese had committed suicide that Tuesday, November 10th. I'll always remember that day. Uh, and as far as personal hells go, that's mine. Uh, that's rock bottom. Uh, hearing those new, that news uh, shook me. It still shakes me now, uh, and it hurts. And he, he was one of my good friends in high school. You know, we, we still talked. We, we would hang out, and... Uh, I just remember my reaction to that was I wanted to shout, I wanted to punch through a wall really bad, uh, and, and I definitely cried a bunch. Uh, and the coming days weren't any easier. Uh, so that was Thursday the 12th. On Friday the 13th through the 15th, we would do D Now here at Alderwood. Uh, and I was middle school intern, and I was helping run games for that. Uh, so I had to 
decide on the next day to be all happy, cheery, and come up here and lead games. Um, a few days after that, some of my friends from high school, we decided to meet for a little informal memorial at Reese's favorite pizza shop. Uh, and his dad was there, and we didn't know he would be. That was hard. Uh, we had the formal memorial that we had to go to and see pretty much uh, all of our high school friends, even de uh, distant ones and teachers and everyone, uh, and that was hard. Uh, on top of all that, too, at D-Now, I had sixth-grade boys that I was just getting to know, and sixth-graders are crazy and hyper, and I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to lay in bed all day because uh, I just didn't have the energy for it. Uh, so <laughs> why am I telling you all this? Uh, our big idea, God is faithful even when it feels like we're going through hell. Uh, God was very faithful in this experience for me, and I do not wish I had to go through it, but looking back, I can see how it shaped me, uh, how these scars have shaped me. Uh, I really think that this, is, this experience is one of the most sure proofs in my life that God is real and that God cares about us. And, and the reason being is that uh, dealing with these situations, hard situation after hard situation, conversation that I wish I would never have to have, to, never have, to have with people, uh, he would give me wisdom that I definitely do not possess naturally. I do not have that much wisdom uh, in dealing with a conversation with a question that I never thought I would have to answer. Uh, in, in dealing with talking to one of my best friend's dad, who I can't even imagine the feelings he's going through. What am I supposed to say to him, right? How am I supposed to show him that I care? How am I supposed to show my friends that I still believe in a God that would do something like this or would allow something like this to happen? Uh, at, at ASM, God gave me energy, gave me uh, the the willingness to come up here and just get by. Uh, as soon as I got off, didn't feel good anymore, but I could get by. God, God was faithful in that. He was faithful to the ministry that happened at, at DNOT because I know there were a lot of you guys here even, but middle schoolers too, that, that got to experience worship in a special way, that got to experience a closeness with their small group and grow in that and experience God. Uh, and he was faithful in that. And I got to witness that even from afar. Um, he gave me comfort when I needed it uh, because... Uh, especially as a guy, you know, it's hard to, to tell someone that you just need to have comfort in this, that it, it sucks. Uh, he gave me comfort that I never could have imagined. Uh, and I think also just that his testimony, the testimony of who God is, was strengthened, uh, not by me being a good person, not by me doing anything special, but just by uh, how he was caring for me through it and other people that knew that could see that, uh, even in the face of tragedies, showing that a God that's still faithful. So, I'm willing to bet that just about any of you in here could tell a similar story about something where you hit rock bottom and, and where it felt like it couldn't get any worse. Uh, maybe you're going through it right now. Uh, I'm not so naive to think that everything is going perfect in everyone's life. Uh, and, and I also believe that God uh, tells us as believers, as family in Christ, that we're supposed to encourage each other through things like this. Even if it's been in your distant past, even if it's happening right now, we're supposed to encourage each other through it. So I want to do that right now. I, want to, I don't want to leave this on a down note because this story is not leaving it on a down note. This story for the Jews in Esther is that was all happening in the past. Now it's on the upswing. They're seeing God's faithfulness come through. And so I want to encourage you and talk about God's faithful, faithfulness and how he will come through for us in this. Uh, thinking back, Mordecai, in chapter 4, uh, Mordecai tells Esther, uh, we, you need to go before the king. You need to tell him about this and plead for our lives. And Esther is afraid because the king has every right to kill her. Uh, and Mordecai 
in his head knows about God's faithfulness because he says, even if you don't do it, deliverance for us will come from another place. Mordecai knew from the start. Mordecai had the long-term vision. Didn't mean that he wasn't suffering. He very much was. That's why he's wearing sackcloth and ash and mourning while this is happening. But he knew in the long term, God's going to come through for us. This sucks. This really sucks right now, but God will still come through for us. We have a greater assurance than that. We have the best assurance. We have the ultimate assurance, actually, found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's our ultimate assurance that God is faithful and God will come through. Because for God so loved the world, we're the world. For God so loved the world that he would send his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. So that as long as we have faith in him, as long as we believe in him, we can share eternity with him. That's what our assurance is. That's what our hope is in. Our hope is in that. It's an event that's already happened. It's an event that we know is true. It's an event that shows God's ultimate love for us. So our faith is in Jesus' death and resurrection. Because death was defeated, so what do we have to fear if death can't even touch us? What can be scarier than than death? Uh, And we have the love and promise of a perfect and faithful God. So this is what should set us apart from the world. That faith. What does it look like? What does it mean to set us apart? But that faith should set us apart from the rest of the world. We shouldn't look the same as everyone else because this world is sinful, this world is broken, and there is a ton of hurt in this world. A ton. Every day, just turn on the news if you want. Don't recommend it because it's sad, but that's what sets us apart. But again, our hope isn't in anything in this world. So all of that hurt, all of that pain, even though we feel it, it's not the thing that controls us. It's not what defines us because we aren't putting our hope in anything that can be broken like that. Our hope is in something perfect, and that's the love of Jesus. It's a real thing, and it's a perfect thing. Esther's story is kind of a microcosm uh, of our lives, right? We get to see the bad, and we get to see the good in the end. Uh, for the most part, our lives are kind of like Esther. It doesn't, it doesn't all go through exactly like this. Um, Jesus actually promises us that we will suffer and we will hurt uh, in this life. I want to pull up Romans 5. Uh, Paul makes a great logical progression here. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's what Jesus' death did. Jesus told us, he promised us, and Paul reassures us that we will suffer, but the suffering doesn't end in hopelessness, and it doesn't end in pain, because it ends actually in the love of the Holy Spirit. That's what our hope is in. We don't end at the low point of the story. We get the upswing. God loves us. God cares about us. He cares about each and every one of you. He cares about me, and he wants to take care of us. He took care of us in the ultimate way by sending Jesus, and that's what he assures us invite the band up on stage and pray in a second but just one last thought for you guys uh you know I, I told you at the start like our our pain is not uh to be forgotten it should shape us and uh 
not, there's very rarely a day that goes by that I don't think in some way of Reese, that I don't get reminded, and it always hurts uh, every time. But in the same way in, in Romans 5, what Paul reminds us, uh, that produced so much maturity, faith, uh, growth in my life that uh, the experience is important. It, it shaped who I am and it drew me closer to God. So for you guys, this is what I want you to take away. Uh, I want you to know that, that we should live in a way that does not seem like anything else in the world because our hope is not in anything of this world. That even though when, when life knocks you down, when it gets hard, when it feels like everything's against you, that you still have a faithful God that will take care of you in the end. Um, I want you to know that if you are struggling or hurting, I encourage you more than anything to rely on the church, to rely on God. God has given you the church to support you. We're here as brothers and sisters to love you. Your leaders love you like no other. Uh, you can tell a leader anything. We're never going to judge you. There's no, there's no shame in suffering. We all suffer in some way. Uh, we're promised it. Uh, the other thing is to live with a long-term vision. Uh, so love with reckless abandon. Uh, love, love other people in a way that doesn't make any sense. Even though this world sucks and may hurt, just always love them through it. If you have that long-term vision that Jesus is the end goal, that becomes easier. That's what your hope is in. And it should play out. It should be obvious that your hope is not in something here. Uh, just a reminder, we can be sure that God is faithful because he already delivered everything we need with Jesus.